This is Gary with PodcastPickle.com, better known as P. Dilly, and you're listening to You Are the Guest with Bill Grady. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show 17 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is from Plainfield, Illinois. Norm, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me, Bill. In your note to the show, you wrote that I am an ex-engineer slash race car driver slash stand-up comic slash improv actor turned stay-at-home dad slash autism advocate slash podcaster. So does anybody call you Slash? No, <laughs> not at all. But uh, no, that's a lot of stuff. It's, people don't believe me when I, when I tell them about my background in my life, you know, all the stuff I've done and things I've been involved in. So are you originally from Plainfield? No, I'm not. I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was uh, I grew up there. I was born in 1962, so I'm a little bit older than you, but not much. I um, moved to California when I was 25 for about two years, actually three years. Moved back when back to Minnesota because I missed the winters for some reason. I don't know why. And then I uh, moved to Michigan in 2003 with my wife's company. And uh, actually, 2004, I take that back. And then I moved back, or I actually moved to Illinois in uh, 2005 with her company because she got promoted. There were several things in your letter that, that really struck me as being interesting, so I'm going to highlight those on today's sure. program. First of all, tell me how did you get into racing? Well, what happened was back in 1978, I was in Mr. Victorine's class at uh, Alexander Ramsey Senior High School in Roseville, Minnesota. And I was sitting there, and he would have these things called Mr. Vic Flicks. He was a history teacher, but on the last day of school, like just before, like, well, last day of school or last day before Christmas break, he would have these things called Mr. Vic Flicks. He'd put on, like, uh, all those drug education films from the 50s that you laugh at now. And he put on a thing called Rally Racing Fever which is all about SCCA Pro Rally, which is off-road racing like they do in Europe, where they race down forestry roads, and they have a driver and a co-driver. And I saw that, and I was hooked. There was a little message in the back that said, for more information, you know, call Sports Club of America, and there I was. Boom. And I joined the club in, in uh, 1980, and I stayed with them till 2003, when I kind of got sidetracked with other things. What was your scariest moment behind the wheel? Huh. I would say the scariest moment I had behind the wheel, I was at an ice race, believe it or not, in, um, where was it? It was on Lake Phelan. It was like my very first ice race I've ever been in. And I literally had two cars spin in front of me, contact, separate, and then, one roll, the other one kind of hit the bank and kind of, not cartwheeled, but kind of flipped over. Um, that was probably the scariest moment for me. 
although I've had a worse experience where I actually uh, lost it in the front straight at a at a uh, ice race in Duluth, Illinois, or <laughs> Duluth, Illinois, Duluth, Minnesota. It was right on the lake, on Lake Superior, and I uh, slid sideways in the front straight. I broke a strut and spun and hit a bank and rolled, actually flipped, landed on my roof, and then rolled back to my wheels. Although, to me, it wasn't a big deal, but it was just kind of flash. You know how you, when something happens to you, it happens so quickly, and you go, whoa. The guy behind me was so freaked out, he went right into the snowbank behind me, and, but uh, we both were fine. Tell me about your first gig as a stand-up comic. What was that like? That was really interesting. It was an open stage at a little place called Stevie Ray's Comedy uh, Cabaret. And actually, I, I took classes at Stevie Ray's. Um, I was part of their improv uh, class troupe. And Steve suggested that I do open stage to uh, get more get used to I used to have terrible stage jitters. And uh, I... He told me to try it out on stage, and uh, I don't know if you know her. Um, there's a stand comic. She's a national stand comic. Her name is Maria Banford. She and I started the same night on the same stage. Um, she's now very popular. She's on Comedy Central quite a bit, but I digress. As you'll see, I do that a lot. Um, but the uh, I got on, I did a basically three minutes. Basically, when you start and stand up, you get three minutes on stage, and then they give you the light which is being, means you've got a minute left, you're done. And uh, I was so scared. I uh, just had that, you know, that ball you get in your stomach, it just, ugh, tightness. But it was so cool. I did, a, I did a joke about, hi, my name is Norm, not Norman. Norman's a fat kid who eats paste. I had given up that many years ago. Uh, now I just sniff glue. <laughs> it's about the same high, but it doesn't bind you up as much, blah, blah, blah. And I actually did kind of a convoy rap, too, like, you know, uh, kind of a, we got a great big convoy walking through the night, yo, you know, but I don't remember much about that night except that I was scared to death and I kept bouncing around, you know. You can always tell a stamp comics is nervous because they sit there and they just move around. They look like they're dancing on stage. Tell me about a heckler story. Heckler story. I used to do this bit. I'm a big guy. I'm probably well, about three, 380 now. I, I'm actually lost some weight, but I'm a big guy. And uh, about 6'3", though. So I'm, I handle it rather well. I was on stage, and I do this bit about I about attracting all these women. And uh, the punchline was, you know, they all got caught in my gravitational force. But um, what happened was, is this girl goes, yeah, right, like you could get a woman. And I, and I looked at her, and I said, weren't you one of them? Yeah, you were the you were you were so and so. I said some, I said her name. I, I I'd heard her name earlier in the show. They had, someone had like mentioned her again. She she heckled almost everybody. Yeah, you're Melissa. Yeah, don't you remember? You gave me your number and you you called me and I gave you mine and you called me and called me and called me and I did a lot better than I just did now. But it was just so and I put the heckler down so much. No one else heckles me at that point. And uh, or also what I do is I threaten to do a stage dive if anybody heckled. <laughs> So. Yeah, and and that may do it all all together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it, it's uh, I, I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed the six years I did stand up, just you know, as a hobby. And I, I got paid a little bit here and there. I used to do a lot of stuff with uh, uh, Stevie Ray's improv troupe, and I did a lot of open stages. A lot of stuff with Scott Hansen up there in Minnesota, and uh, did a couple nights with him for opening up, and and. Uh, Open up for some national comics and stuff. It was fun. 
You also wrote in your note that you have a son with autism. What should everyone know about autism? Autism is a disease that strikes kids when they're about two years old. Their late onset is typical. Yeah, the kids are, are very intelligent. They're uh, normal to advanced intelligence. Uh, there's different levels. There's the kids that are almost physically impaired by it, where they, they're they just so uh, disconnected that they just have, they, they, they crave sensory stuff and they, bound, they pound their head against walls and beat themselves and things like that. To kids that are almost appear normal or average or typical is the word we like to use is typical. And they, they look like they function normally, but then all of a sudden they get in a stressful situation and they're basket cases. Um, my son Dustin's kind of in between. He's moderately autistic. He does not speak, um, although he does do a little sign language. Um, and he's just beginning to talk now. He's 11. He's just talking a little bit. Um, I guess what I'd like to tell people is, I mean, I've seen it a lot less is, you know, they, these kids do goofy things is to not stare. I guess that's the best, <laughs> best word. Um, Dustin doesn't doesn't appear to be... Uh, he, he, he handles himself in public pretty well, and he doesn't do inappropriate things. And uh, I guess what I really would like to know pe- people know about it, it's the kids are not evil. <laughs> I guess that's the word. Um, they may act up from time to time, but it's a sensory thing, and you almost have to do the opposite of what you would normally do with a child. Like with a child where... Well, it's almost like a child that craves too much attention. Like um, Dustin will sometimes just scream when he wants attention. And uh, we try not to feed into that by by ignoring him. Not not ignoring him totally, but just like only paying attention to him when he's not being bad or not doing bad things. Just to maybe expand on that a little bit, what are some of the myths and, and what are the realities of autism from before you're your son was yeah. diagnosed to now being an experienced parent. I tell you, hey, Bill, Dustin's the best thing that ever happened to me, okay? I love this kid, I mean, so much. He's actually my stepson. Um, and uh, I love this kid so much that I, uh, I, I can't even explain it. It's, it's, it's just so, I wouldn't, want him, I wouldn't want him to be any different right now. He's, he's wonderful. He's a wonderful kid. And I guess... From when I was a younger kid, I remember kids taunting these kids and stuff, and I was always the one that kind of stepped in, and kind of said, "Don't, don't pick on him, you know. He's, you know, he's, you know, weaker than you, supposedly or whatever." And uh, it can turn in. I mean, these kids can get really violent if you, uh, if you really, if you really push them. And and some people find it entertaining, and it's not very entertaining at all. That, that's a big eye opener for me. The most important thing I learned about Dustin was patience. I had to not react or overreact to what he did. If he started hitting me or, or punched me or headbutted me or something like that, I didn't. I had to act like he did nothing to me, and because they use it as a way to get attention and and to get uh, feedback from you, they they want to rile you up sometimes because. They feed off that, and if you get mad at a kid or an autistic kid, or you yell at them, especially if you yell them, they get more agitated. And the more you yell at them, the more agitated they get at you. And it's 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 one of those things where it's a snowball effect. Where most kids, if you if they're if they're messing up, you go, hey, stop that. With Dustin, he would just get mad at you and like 
gets dressed. It sounds like Dustin has a great dad, too. Thanks. I appreciate that. I, uh, I try to be. <laughs> With both Jackie and I and my wife, are, are, uh, we, we try to be the best parents we can because uh, we know that he's got a big challenge. And I have uh, schizophrenia in my family. My sister's schizophrenic. And uh, I know what a challenge it is just to have, you know, someone you love so close to you kind of you kind of lose them a little bit my sister fortunately is one of the one of the better functioning people um thank, thankfully with a few meds here and there that uh, she's become very successful in her life and she actually used to do a lot of uh, public speaking about it up in minneapolis uh fact, she and paul wellstone had done some stuff uh for for doing a schizophrenia advocacy here are the final five questions. What's one defensive driver mode that most drivers should be better at? They should be better at knowing where they are in traffic, knowing what's going on around them. I can, tell, I can name every car that's around me when I'm driving. I can tell you, okay, there's a Ford Explorer in my right rear that's just out of my blind spot. You know, there's this over here. You know, I, that's one thing racers always know. They always know where everybody else is. And... People drive like they're driving in a cornfield. Who else would you meet in a cornfield? I mean, that, that's that's our motto on that. It's kind of like you need you need to know where other people are, and you need to be aware that other people, yeah, they might want to go faster. You're not racing them. Just get out of their way, you know. And it, it could be the guy may have had his, have his son in the back seat who's bleeding to death and needs to get to the hospital right now, you know. And the people that drive like idiots, drive like idiots, let them crash themselves. Because if you get in their way, you're going to be part of their accident. That's the way I look at it. What's your definition of funny? My definition of funny is to surprise me. The hardest thing and the saddest thing is once I learned how to do improv, it was no longer funny to me because you know what's coming up next. You know, some guy comes up with a punchline, you go, you go, and, and you almost repeat it with him. You know, that, that's the problem. I, I, my definition of funny is you've got to be able to surprise me. You've got to be able to, to twist things and put a nice twist on it. A uh, good example of that is we were in Stevie Ray's improv troupe or in our classes. We had an advanced class where I had to do a scene. We had to do controversial stuff, like uh, we had to do a scene on uh, spouse abuse. And I came into the scene. I was with a friend of mine, uh, Deb Fawcett, and she's probably all of five feet, five foot two and maybe 100 five pounds at most and here i'm coming in and you know almost 400 pounds and the scene starts off with with you know us talking and uh you know the the, the son comes in and and uh says something bad and and i go and i go i take a deep breath and i look at deb and i go please don't get the broomstick out now don't beat me again <laughs> and just a nice twist on it like you know you're expecting me to be the one that's doing all the abusing because i'm like you know twice the size of everybody you know it's kind of a nice twist you know it's it's uh it's kind of one of those i uh, that's that's what i like it's, it's like oh i didn't see that coming what's the best thing about being a stay-at-home dad um having oh um have, having the kid in school <laughs> the uh it's it's having time to, to do stuff. Uh, I uh, I like spending the amount of time I have spent with Dustin. Uh, it's you know it's usually short term. I've had to do this twice now, where this one's about twice as long of a stay at home as as it's been 
when we were in Michigan, I was there for about three months, and then I got a job. This has been almost six months now, and uh, I tell you, Dustin and I are best buddies now. I mean, we were best buddies before, but we're just, I mean, we're practically inseparable. I mean, like, I'm sitting here missing him right now. I mean, that's, that's, the, fun, that's the best part is we go out, we go to the gym together, we walk, we swim, we work out together. Um, it's all about him, and I think it helps both of us to bond better, you know. What's the best place to eat when visiting Plainfield, Illinois? The best place to eat, it's a place called the Spaghetti Warehouse. They have the best lasagna I've ever had in my life. Um, I make lasagna at home. Matter of fact, it's my dad's recipe, and uh, this, this is darn close. <laughs> it's, it's really good. And what's the greatest lesson you've learned in your life? The greatest lesson I've learned in my life is to take risks. To take time and uh, and push push yourself because if you don't push yourself, you're going to end up being bored with life. So, time to play Ask Bill three. This is where I'm going to turn the mic over to you, Norm, and you can ask me three questions about anything. So fire away. Okay. First of all, I'm going to do first one. It's uh, very similar to what the last thing you had just asked me. I have a motto. It's uh, it's basically goes as sometimes you generate your own luck that's my motto basically it came from a guy by the name of uh, uh, John Bauer who was a Trans Am racer back in the early 80s he had a uh, he was he was third in third place in the race he watched these two guys going at it for the lead they crashed in the last turn and he came out and won so uh, Bill what I want to know is what's your own personal motto what do you live by the quality of your life is dependent upon the quality of your choices. In other words, we have choices that are given to us every day. And when I, I talk to people when they say, boy, why is my life screwed up or why is my career screwed up? I always go back to the choices that they've made. And so if you really want to change the quality of your life or you want to have better income or, or you know, more job satisfaction, then you really need to examine the quality of your choices. So that is mine in a nutshell. Huh. That's really good. That's uh, very Tony Robbins-ish. Um, Tony Robbins has the thing about where um, the situation you are in now is what is something in your past is what caused you to be there. So it's the same type of thing, quality of choice and stuff like that. My second question is, um, you've been in the broadcasting business for a gazillion years, and uh, it's, I mean, it's all been all, it's been like your only career, right? It's, that's your only path, right? Yeah, pretty okay. much, pretty much. Okay. What would you have done if broadcasting hadn't been an option for a career? Ooh, um, I guess I had a lot of encouragement to be a, an attorney at one point, but I just didn't want to go through, through schooling. Uh, oddly enough, if I had the the magic wand and you know could could pick it all over again, and I had the talent or the patience or whatever, I would have been a professional musician. I would have picked up the guitar, moved out to California, and said, "Okay, let's go find a rock band. Let's go make this work." So, so in my uh, my fantasy world, or if I could could get the magic wand out, you know, I'd just make myself into a musician or to a rock star. Okay, I, I think that's really cool. I uh, I I heard a quote about someone talking about 
about musicians that they said that that it's that's the coolest job you can ever have because you are doing something that is so pleasurable. I know for music like that is for you too on the something. It's just so pleasurable, and you get to do it every night, and you get to just like do do the thing you love the best, you know, for for a bunch of people. And uh, my last one is, if a movie was made of your life, who would play you in the movie? Oh, probably the the person that would come off the best bringing my personality across would be Tom Hanks. Okay. Yeah, I'd like for it to be Tom Cruise, but it ain't gonna happen. Uh, but but Tom Hanks would would probably be be the uh, closest that would be able to to pull that off. Between just the mannerisms, also sense of humor and that type, uh, I would think that Tom Hanks would do a very good job. So who knows if he's looking for a good part? Tom, give me a call. We'll we'll write a book. We'll do a movie, and. Who knows? Another Oscar. It could be Oscar bait right there. I think so. I mean, uh, I think uh, I was just reading your little bio on your website, and I was like, oh, that's just pretty impressive, you know, and it's got all those awards going on, and it sounds like you've, you've had a good achievements in your life, which is a good thing. The one thing I tell people is that if you, if you know that part of my life, that's about 10% of me. Mm-hmm. You know, the other 90% is is the thing that my friends and my family get to find out every day. But my professional part of my life is just 10% of who Bill Grady really is. Norm, why don't you tell about your podcast and, and tell okay. people about your show and how they can find out more or, or, or download your show? Sure. Um, it's called A Bunch of Characters. Um, you can go on iTunes and put A Bunch of Characters. And uh, that's, uh, that's probably the best way to access it. Um, my, I have a little uh, website called www.nwjmedia.com. It's got my podcast along with another podcast I do, which is a little bit more serious, a little bit more spiritual. Uh, the A Bunch of Characters stuff is uh, it's kind of a reverent comedy. A lot of the stuff is from my old stand-up days. I used to have a character called Pro Poeto Bizarro. And basically what he does is he plagiarizes songs, and reads them in a poetic style, bizarrely. That's where I got the pro poeto bizarro from. Um, you can also do it on, uh, I think it's http backslash backslash nwjmedia.libsyn.com is the actual uh, blog page for that. And um, I, I love the show. It's fun. I have a good time. Most of the characters are mine. Uh, my friend Jesse Mullen did some stuff on there, too. Uh, as you can see, the podcasts get progressively get better as they go along. I, uh, I'm, always has, I'm almost tempted to take number one off because I just feel just like embarrassed by it almost now. But I love the show. It's fun. I enjoy doing it. I'm looking for more people to do characters on that show. And if they want to, they can send it to norm at nwjmedia.com. And I would love people to come in and send their bits in, or if they want to do some stuff with me, that's great. Maybe we can do it over Skype like we're doing this interview, uh, you know, doing a conversation type stuff. And uh, I really, I really enjoy this. This is, uh, this is what I have fun with. This is, my, this is my fun thing to do now. Norm, thank you so much for being a guest. We'll also put a link up on our side as well, so listeners can, can click on the link and go right to your site and, and uh, maybe you'll get some new listeners, too. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. 
Norm, thanks again for being a, a guest on You Are the Guest. Would you recommend this to some other folks that uh, were, were kind of thinking, well, maybe I should email the show, maybe I shouldn't? Oh, definitely. It's fun. I mean, and, and you're, so, you're such an easy person to be interviewed by. It's, uh, there's no reason to be nervous or anything like that. I, uh, I, I just love this. I, I could just sit here and talk to you for an hour. We could make this like a five-hour show. And uh, I don't know if people would stay tuned to it, but, I, you know, <laughs> I, could, I could talk to you for like five hours. Thank you so much, Norm, and good luck with the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Psst, I need to tell you something. It's about the best-kept secret on the Internet. Yeah, that's right. PodcastPickle.com. The best podcasting directory on the Internet. That wraps up Show 17 of You Are the Guest. And taking us out are two songs from the Poncho Ponce Music Network. Up first, it's Brett Phillips with Pacific Western Jet Stream Home, followed by American Heartbreak with Somebody. From the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.
from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.